Well, this morning, the Lord is uh, leading us in some new direction, and uh, I just thought I would talk about that this morning. I'm going to be talking about chains this morning. If you found your place in 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, I'm at verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning, God, I believe that there's some things that you need to help us understand. And God, I pray that you would just uh, bring those things out with clarity. That, God, we can understand them, first of all, Lord. And not only that, but, Lord, we can see your hand in it. And then, God, we pray that you would give us a... Uh, cooperative spirit, Lord, that we could embrace it, Lord, and go forward with what you are leading us to do as a local church assembly. Now, Father, I pray for every single person that is here today, Lord, that you would show us each individually what our part is in carrying out the mission, Lord, that you have given Central Virginia Assembly of God. Lord, I pray for those that's outside of our church, Lord, those who may be listening to this on the Internet, or, Lord, maybe someone has shared a CD with them. God, I pray that you just... Speak to their heart and show them what their part may be in helping us fulfill the mission and the goal that you've given us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. This morning, what I want us to understand, first off, is that things change. Things change. And the Jews sometimes were unwilling, and sometimes they were, and sometimes they still are unwilling to... uh, Go along with the change, because uh, there's an evolution, it seems like, uh, of the glory of God. And it's evolving from one thing to another. And when we hear the word evolution, we typically think of Charles Darwin's theory of how the world came into existence. And we all know that that's ridiculous. I hope you know that that's ridiculous. Even in the Christian world, some people believe that God created the world, but He used evolution to do it. And that's just as ridiculous. And can be very easily disproven. Uh, we can use just scientific discovery to disprove evolution. And there's a couple that I've committed to memory that just helps me if I ever get into a uh, discussion or conversation with someone who believes in evolution. Here's a couple that I can throw out here for you that's real simple, easy to remember. And it scientifically proves that evolution is an impossibility. First of all is the absence of meteorite dust on planet Earth. There's 15 billion tons, I'm sorry, 50 million tons of nickel meteorite dust that falls to the Earth each and every year. Now, 
evolutionist tells us that the, that the earth is anywhere from 5 to 15 billion years old. Now, if 15 million tons of nickel meteorite dust falls to the earth every year, and it does, over just 5 billion years, there would be a layer 200 feet thick on the surface of the earth. And there's nowhere on planet earth that you can find a layer of nickel meteorite dust to, to that uh, measurement. So just that fact alone scientifically proves that the earth is not 5 billion years old as they allege. The second one is population statistics. The present world population is around 4.3 billion people. Now, assuming that if a lifespan is an average of 75 years and a generation is an average of 35 years, uh, it would, we, we could calculate that population of 5.3 billion back, there would be actually 30 doublings. And it would take us back to approximately 3500 B.C., which is the time of the flood. So you start out with, with actually three families, one family made up of three sons, three daughter-in-laws, a man and his wife, Noah and his wife. And do the math and the calculation, it would make the population on planet Earth approximately 4.3 billion people. It's what we have. So we can see that the Scripture tells us how old the earth is and that how it came into being. It came into being through creation. Out of the book Scientific Creation, page 154, the author writes this. Now, if the first man appeared one million, just one million years ago, not billions of years, but a million years ago, and we use these very conservative growth rates and we apply them during that period, the world population would be 10 followed by 27,000 zeros. Just one million years ago. All right? We started out with a family 3,500 years ago, and we have 4.3 billion people on the earth. But if the evolutionist is correct, and man appeared on the earth a million years ago, the population would be 10 followed by 27,000 zeros. Do you realize how big of a sheet of paper it would take just to put that number down? And I don't think they even have a name for a number that big. I mean, we could probably create one, but it's just an unfathomable number of people that would be on planet Earth today if man appeared a million years ago. However, no more than ten followed by one hundred zeros people can even be crammed into the known universe. And I have to tell you, folks, when I watch History Channel and stuff like that, and they start talking about something 500,000 billion years ago, it just irritates me. Because it's an insult to my intelligence. For people to spout that stuff out, and they don't teach it as a theory. They teach it as a fact. And the fact is, there is no possible way, mathematically, scientifically, that evolution is the explanation for how the world came into being. So, when I use the word evolution, I just want you to know I'm not talking about evolution as the theory of how the world came into being. However, things do evolve. Evolution is a very real part of the world that we live in. Actually, the definition of evolution is a gradual process in which something changes into a different 
and usually more complex or better form. Simply, evolution is improving things. It's making them better, changing them for the better. It's a process of development, gradually developing things. So people have by nature worked to make life better. Haven't you? I mean, you've tried to, your whole, I have, try to work to make your life better. And so sometimes we, we do that by the means that we have available to us. How many of you say we well, just got to do what you got to do? Anybody else do, do that besides me? You just got to do what you got to do. You would like to make things better if you had all the resources and the finances. I mean, I would love to have a better sanctuary this morning. We're believing God for the resources to make that happen. But until then, we're going to do what we got to do. Now, I hold a book in my hand this morning. This is a very, very special book to me. This is The Primer of Hygienes by Richard Caldwell, revised in 1920. Now, it wasn't written in 1920. It was revised in 1920. You say, well, Pastor B., what is so special about The Primer of Hygienes? Well, when you open this book up, you can't read a thing about hygienes in it. Because each page is covered with a recipe cut out of newspaper and glued into this book. This belonged to my grandmother. She grew up very, very, very poor in the deep heart of the Smoky Mountains. And she didn't have a cookbook. So she found this old book and she made her own cookbook. And my grandfather, he would get old newspapers that, as they would... He didn't buy them. They would throw old newspapers away. He would get them, and she'd go through and find those recipes and cut them and glue them into this book. And Jeannie and I was talking about it and said, you know, she probably didn't cook hardly any of these things because she couldn't afford the ingredients that it would have taken to cook these things. But I was, as I was looking through it, I could see my grandmother sitting there just dreaming. And it probably brought her joy just to, to think one day I'd love to cook that. You know, so that makes this book very special. But how many of you know we we don't use cookbooks like this anymore? We've changed. Things have evolved and developed, and and we see that throughout history. Things have gotten better and easier. Aren't you glad you don't have to make your own cookbook out of an old wore out book, ladies? I see them sitting on the dumpster. People throwing them away. You know, at least they didn't throw them in the dumpster. They'll sit. You ever pull up to the dumpster there and people set stuff out that's still good? And if you want it, you can take it. Well, I've seen cookbooks like that. And, and, and I thought about that when I was looking through this. She worked so hard to have one. And you probably have dozens in your home. So things have evolved. They, they change. They're easier. Well, things have evolved and have been evolving since creation. Take, for example, farming. Right, we read in Genesis the 23rd chapter and the, 20, uh, the 3rd chapter and the 23rd verse. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Adam and Eve, if you remember when they took the vine, he, he drove them out of the garden to till the ground. We still till the ground today. I, I watched a guy this summer. He took a field that was just a big hay field full of brush and everything. He brought a bulldozer in. He cleared it off. Then he went across it, he sprayed it, killed all the weeds. Then he come in and drilled beans in. Then he come back on top of that with fertilizer and sprayed it and then just left it for God. And man, there, there are beans standing this tall. It's beautiful. 
I love to drive through the country and see cornfields full of corn. Don't you? I love that. You ought to do it on a motorcycle. You can smell all those different fragrances. Somebody just cut hay. Oh, man, it's just it's the bomb, isn't it, Tony? Yes, sir, brother. We're praying, brother. Anybody got a motorcycle? Tony's praying for a motorcycle. We're going to start a biker ministry, brother. Amen. That's uh, Whoops, squirrel. But we still till the ground today. I went out in my garden the other day, and I fired up my five-horsepower Briggs & Stratton tiller. And I tilled up a spot there that I had sprayed weed killer on. I learned from this guy. He said, instead of getting out there pulling those weeds up, I sprayed them, boy. It worked good. Tilled it up. I'm going to plant some turnip greens and stuff for the fall out there. And so we still do that. But aren't you glad we don't do it the way Adam did it? When Adam came out, all he had was little handmade wooden tools. He had to do everything by hand. And then as it time evolved, they discovered if you put a stone on the end of that stick, it'll dig better. And then they discovered metal. And so they made metal uh, tools and instruments to work with. And then some wise guy come up with a round wheel and found out that you could put wheels on a cart and roll your products around and it made it easier. Then they found out that they could domesticate animals and use them to carry them. So beast of burden to pull plows and that kind of thing. And then some ingenious people evolved a little bit further and made machinery. You know, and they would sit on a horse-drawn sickle mower and cut hay, and they got another one that was drawn that would rake up the hay. And then pretty soon they found out that they could make an engine that run off of steam to pull all of that. And then some guy came up with a, 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 an engine that would run off of petroleum. Uh, Pat Champion's got one of those old gas engines. It's got a great big wheel on it, and you get that thing turning, it's got a big water reservoir. And that wheel will be turning, and every so often the spark plug will go poop, and it goes poop, 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 and it just keeps running like that. My grandfather had one of those that ran his whole wood shop. He had a big belt, and it ran a, 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 a metal rod and bearings, and it had pulleys that would come off of it. One pulley would go to the lathe, one would come to the saw, one other one would go to the planer. And he ran his whole shop off of that gas engine. He'd go up on the mountain, cut a tree. He made wooden chairs, sold them for a dollar apiece. And, uh, and just discovering machinery made life a lot easier for us. Nowadays, a guy gets up in an air-conditioned tractor with a stereo. He's got a buddy seat for his son. We was talking about that the other day. A guy said he, he saw a tractor and said, Guys, he's got a little buddy seat in there. Take his kids out in the field with him to plow. Some of them are satellite directed. We have evolved from Adam and Eve and the way he gardened until the way that we till the soil today. So evolution is a good thing. It's, it's improving. Compensation for labor has evolved. They started out, they would barter. I'll trade you this goat for a bushel of beans or whatever, you know, and they, they would barter back and forth. That's how they paid for things, or they would labor. I will work for you to do this, and, and you give me food in exchange, or whatever they had to trade. Then they used silks and cloths and special spices. And uh, We had a missionary here from Mali, Africa. We had a missions team go there. And in Mali, Africa, they still cut the big blocks of salt out. And salt, back in the day, in the biblical times, was like gold. You used it as currency. You paid for things with salt. And so 
the the uh, economy it, it evolved, and we got to the point to where we started making uh, things out of precious metals, and then precious metals became currency. And then finally, somebody came up and discovered that they could make a coin and they could stamp things on it and give it value, and we started the monetary system, which has been used for many, many years. Then some guy came up with an idea that you could use a plastic card. And you didn't have to carry money in your pocket. All you had to do was carry that plastic card. And I can remember, folks, pulling up to the gas station and seeing people put that card in that machine and get gas. And I thought, I'll never do that. How do I know they're only going to take $20 worth of gas out of my bank account? They might take 220 out if I had 220 in there. And I said, I ain't going to use one of them newfangled things. Nowadays, I can't even remember the last time that I pay for gas with money. How many of you use a debit card every time you go get gas? All right. We've evolved. We've changed. How many of you remember pulling up to the gas station and a guy come out and say, you want me to fill her up for you? Huh? Say, yeah. Can I check under the hood? Well, yeah. And they would check your oil for you. No, you didn't even have to get out of the car. Just sit there. They'd fill up the car, pop the hood, check the oil, and wash the windshield. Amen. Because they wanted you to do business at their station. And if they offered better service, you'd come buy gas there. I don't think you can expect somebody to come and fill your car up for you anymore. <laughs> I don't know if that evolution was a good thing or not, you know, but we've evolved. Now we do online banking. People don't even make it, they don't even go to the bank. We can order stuff and have it shipped to our house and never get up out of the chair. So the way we compensate is just to evolve to something totally different than what we began with. Well, worship is that way. Worship has evolved. Because when Adam and Eve was in the garden, they sacrificed animals to God. Because you remember Cain and Abel brought their sacrifice. Abel brought the first, first uh, lamb of the flock and he brought it. And the Bible says God was pleased with his sacrifice. Because God had established that an animal must die and there must be shedding of blood to cover sin. When he took an animal and killed it and he covered the sins of Adam and Eve with the animal skin. was established. Cain, on the other hand, brought the first fruit of the crops that he grew and God was displeased with it. Because he was trying to do the same thing that mom and daddy did. When they went out and got a fig leaf and tried to use the things of this world to cover their sin. And God said, no, you're going to have to do it my way. And so that's the way that they worship. The head of the household would take a lamb and he would cut his throat and spill its blood. And that would atone for the sins of that family. And that continued all the way up until the time that they were in Egypt. Because if you remember, the, angel, the, the Lord said, take an animal and kill it and put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And the death angel will pass you by. And so they continued that form of worship until they got out into the wilderness and God said, build me a tabernacle. And they built the wilderness tabernacle and no longer did the father of the house sacrifice. He had to then bring the sacrifice to the priest. And the priest would take the sacrifice in and go before the Lord. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year and take that blood in. So we see worship and the, the way that we relate to God evolving it's changing from one form of worship to another form of worship and they continued in the wilderness tabernacle with the priest giving 
sacrifice to the Lord all the way up until the time of Saul, the first king. And during Saul and David, something happened in there that they didn't use the tabernacle like they were supposed to. Saul tried to use the Ark of the Covenant like a good luck charm. When they would go into battle, he'd sin and say, go get the Ark of the Covenant, thinking that if God's presence was here, we will have victory. And one time when he did that, the Philistines defeated them and took the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, they took it in and set it before their god, Dagon. And they came in the next morning, and Dagon fell over on his face, and the Ark of the Covenant is still sitting there. And they set old Dagon back up again. They come in the next day, and he's on his face, and his hands and his head is broken off. Then they all got hemorrhoids. Well, that's what the hemorrhoids, they call it, but we believe that it was hemorrhoids. And Was that a, not a good thing to say? Okay. They had a pain, brother. I'm telling you, it was not good. And, and they had a plague. And so they sent the Ark of the Covenant back, and, and, and they was glad to get it. They rejoiced that they had it back, but they didn't use it as they were supposed to. And then one day, David says, why am I living in a house? But God is dwelling in a tent. I will build a house for the Lord. And so we see worship evolving to another stage. And God began to move on man to build a permanent structure. And we see during the time of Solomon that he built Solomon's temple. And worship evolved to another level. Now God is in a permanent dwelling. And they came in and they would sacrifice and bring the sacrifice into the temple. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And that continued all the way up until the time of Jesus. And when he hung on the cross, the Bible says that the earth became dark. And the veil of the temple was rent in two. And no longer do we have to bring our sacrifice to a priest and say, Will you go to God for me? Because God has opened the veil and he says, Now whosoever may come. And we can all come in and worship God. Because there's no veil between us and the Lord anymore. The veil has been opened up and rent in two. And so we see worship evolving to another level. Now we worship in spirit and in truth. The Bible says that now you are the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. All I have to do to worship now is just invoke the name of Jesus and the Bible says we can come boldly before His throne, making our request known to Him. When I utter the name of Jesus, I have audience before the God of creation to hear my request. And while I'm standing there, Jesus is on the other side, interceding for me. While God says He doesn't deserve it, Jesus says, for my sake, Father, let Him have it. And while I'm standing there, the Holy Spirit is standing right beside me. And He says, Son, I've been here before. I know exactly what to do. You just let me help you here because I'm here to be your comforter. I'm here to guide you and help you. And so we see that form of worship evolving. Now, during our lifetime, we have seen worship evolve. Just the way, in my personal lifetime, I have watched the way that we do church or we do worship. I can remember hearing my grandmother and grandfather sing some of the old songs from back when they were children. And they all sing without string instruments in the church. It was all a cappello. They sang the old folk songs. Oh, come, 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 come. Somebody else would kick in, come to the church. And, you know. And they, man, they get all happy about that stuff, you know. And then when I came along, they started Southern Gospel. And it was like country music style gospel music. I sang it most of my young life, you know. 
somebody just gave me a bluegrass gospel CD. I was listening to it on the way to church this morning, in fact. Boy, they was getting down on that banjo. And, hey, I like it. I like it. If, brother, if you're singing about Jesus, it's all right with me. I don't care what tune it is. I don't care what style it is. If you're singing about Jesus, some of that really hard rock metal music, though, I don't know. Uh, I just, I get there. I'm like, I'm listening to you. Okay, but, but it's just changed. The form of, the style of worship, the Amish, even today, they'll set the women on one side, men on the other. We don't do that anymore. At one time, that was the style of worship. In the first church, I believe that they would do that because when Paul is addressing the church at Corinth, he had to correct some things because the women are sitting over here and up until now, they've been treated like a dog. They're uneducated. They don't know anything. The men are sitting over on this side and they've been taught the Torah and the, the Pentateuch and all that all their life. So they, they have all the answers and they have all the questions. And what was happening was while the rabbi was teaching, uh, Sarah over here said, Abe! What is he talking about? And so Paul had to write and say, ladies, be silent in church. Wait till you get home to ask your husband. Now we've taken that and ran with it, and that was another style of worship. Women, you sit down and shut up. You're to be seen and not heard. And that's not at all what the Bible is saying, and I'm not going to get into all of that because I could preach the whole sermon just on that alone. But that was their style of worship. Some people still practice that today, but most churches have evolved beyond that. Some churches, they believe that it's wrong to have string instruments in the church. They associate it with a secular world and a party spirit. We've evolved beyond that, thank God, hallelujah. I like music. I like musical instruments. I see David dancing before the Lord with all of his might. He had every instrument known to man playing as they ushered in the ark and bringing it back. And putting it in, a, and he brought it and set it up on a mountain in Jerusalem. And Jesus said this, in the last days, he would restore the tabernacle of David. That's another sermon, but I'm going to just touch on it real quick. He didn't say, I'm going to restore the temple of Solomon, but the tabernacle of David. Not the tabernacle of Moses, but the tabernacle of David. What was the tabernacle of David? It was radical worship. That's what it was. The Bible says he danced before the Lord with all of his might. He danced so hard that his clothes fell off. They were playing music, man, and I mean, he was just whirling and throwing down as he was coming into the city. And God says, that's the worship that I'm going to restore in the last days. So, brother, we're going to bring in the guitars. We're going to bring in the trumpets. Anything we can get that praises God, brother, if it's created, it's created to praise the Lord. And we're going to do it. But now the way we do it is it's, 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 it's evolved over time. Our style of worship has evolved. I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I can remember as a child seeing people run all over the church, right. shouting and stuff. My Aunt Hemi, that's my grandfather, that would be the sister-in-law to this lady. My Aunt Hemi, she always wore her, wore her hair in a little bun on the back. Had a, if she let it out, it would be real long. My, Jeannie combed it one time, and she's like, this... Just is so cool, you know. And she'd roll it up in a little bun. She wore little black brogan boot-looking shoes and a dress that came down here all the time and stocking hose. The only skin you could see was her face and her hands. That's it. And most people were that way. And she came to stay with us. And Mama said, 
said, Emmy, we're going to church. Come on, go with us. She said, Lord, Abby, I don't have a clean dress. And Mama says, well, come on, you can just sit in the back. Nobody will notice you. She said, all right. So she came, and she was a big, tall woman, too, big, kind of husky, big bone woman. And she came and sat in the back of the church. And Preacher King was the pastor that ordained my dad. And he was one of these thundering preachers. Bless God, I'm here to tell you this morning. <laughs> kind of a preacher, you know. And he got to preaching, boy, and Aunt Emmy got happy. The next thing you know, she said, Woo! Man, she took off running and ran all over the church going, Woo! Woo! <laughs> hey, these are Baptists. They wasn't even Pentecostal. <laughs> Brother Mountain Baptists, it's like you thought you the only thing they didn't speak in tongues, but boy, they were they were more Pentecostal than a lot of Pentecostal. Amen. And Mama said, What about your dress, Emmy? She said, Lord, honey, I forgot all about that dress. Amen. So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but some people are quiet and reverent. There's all different kinds of styles of worship. Some people are very demonstrative. Some people are very reserved. I just tell people, you worship Jesus any way that feels right to you. All right, it's okay. I tell people, if you want to dance, it's all right. Just keep it holy. I tell people, if you can't get it off the ground, just move it around, you know. It's all right. The Bible says to worship Him with the dance. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. See, all of those are forms of worship. And we've, we've changed over the years. Some people do it this way. Some people do it that way. All kinds of methods. Music has changed. We used to, they used to do nothing but the acapella folk type music. And then somebody came up with a style of music that was to a waltz. And they started singing hymns to a waltz. And you know the people that sang the folks' music said, that's of the devil. You're not supposed to move your body like that when you sing. And they condemned it. And then I remember, because that's the kind of music, the waltz and the, the old hymns, that's what I grew up with, you know. And then I remember the first time they came out with choruses in the church. Well, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I was like, that is so cool. I've never heard that in church before. Because it was like radical, you know. It was wild. And I was a teenager and I, it was hip and I was like, I'm all over that. That's good stuff, you know. And then we do contemporary music, we do today. And so we, we play contemporary music and, and that's the style of worship that we do here. We've been doing it ever since the day we opened the church. And, and it's interesting to me how... When we evolve from one thing to another, some people embrace it, some people reject it. Some people want to hold on to the old, some people want to embrace the new. There used to be a song like that. I'm an old hippie and I don't know what to do. <laughs> Grab on to the old or hold on to the new or something like that, I don't know. And I thought about that song when I was thinking about this. But our message of teaching, it has evolved. Uh, used to be back many years ago, they had traveling teachers that would go and basically they would go to a little farming community and they'd get all the kids together and they would actually teach them from the Bible how to read and write. Practically everything that was taught was taught in and uh, centered around the Bible. And this is not just in America. This is in other places. In 1780, they started having school for children on Sunday. And the reason was because they didn't, they didn't uh, have schools to go to every day. All of the children had to work in, in factories. 
And so Sunday was the only time, that, the only day that they had off. And so they would go on Sundays to get their education. And usually it was the clergy that taught the children and they taught them from the Bible how to read. And they taught them mathematics and they taught them chemistry and science and those things. But it was all centered around the Bible. Then almost 80, 90 years or so later, children actually started going to school during the weekday and they took Sunday. It was reserved limited uh, specifically for religious study. And then in 1895, there was a group called the Sunday School Society. And they established what we know today as Sunday School. In 1895, it's been around for a while, amen. Are you still with me? And so we see it evolving from one trend to another. But the trend for mandatory attendance in Sunday School by parenting stopped in the 1960s. Because something happened. They took prayer out of school. There was a move of the Spirit, and I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, in the 60s. That's when it, they, they started, uh, uh, well, I better not say that, they started changing the way they dressed. You know, women didn't wear the things that they used to wear. Twiggy. How many of you remember Twiggy? Oh, you're telling your age now. And, and so they changed their attire. And uh, they started wearing the beads, and they started just wearing their hair different, and they had just all kinds of things to identify who they are. They were the beatniks, and then there were the flower children, and then it was the hippies, and I don't know what it is now. It's they got all different kinds. They got uh, what is it? The, uh, the paint, they, they do their hair black and the black makeup and all goth, gothic, and they got all kinds nowadays. That's evolved. The world has evolved. The church has evolved. I don't know if it's evolved to a better thing, but it's evolved to something different. In some ways, I think it's better. It's new. It's improved. But today, Sunday school, are you still with me? I want you to hear this. Sunday school has gone the way of Grandma's cookbook. It has. People just don't do it anymore. Our youth just came back from youth camp. And they, I don't know how the subject came up, but they were talking about Sunday school. And the other kids from the other churches says, you still do Sunday school? Dude, nobody does Sunday school anymore. And so it was actually a confirmation because we've been thinking about what, what, are, what is God doing here at CVAG? And we've been praying about these things and, and, and contemplating them and when they came back talking about that, it was just sort of a, an answer to what we had been discussing uh, about Sunday school. And as I look at all of the, these things and the evolution of worship and the evolution of how we teach and our music and everything, the styles change, the methodology changes, the music changes. One thing that never changes, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever and no matter what methods change, and no matter what styles change, the mission has never changed. The message has never changed and never will. It's the same message today, that Jesus Christ still saves, He still delivers, He still heals. He is the same. He has not changed. And at the forefront of all of this is our mission. What is our mission? To go into all the world and teach people the good news. 
We're to teach people about God. That's our mission. Now, the method that we use is really secondary to the mission. But sometimes we will get so focused on the method that we lose sight of the mission. People want to hold on to the memory instead of focusing on the mission. And what God is showing, is showing me this morning, and I, I want to get across to you, is, is we have to keep our focus on our mission. Our mission is to teach people about God. To connect people with God. To provide an environment so that we can get them here to sit them down in front of a teacher that is prepared to teach them about the things of God. That's our mission. And some people will choose to embrace change as long as they can see that it's a better way to accomplish that mission. Are you with me on that? I can embrace change as long as I see that it's a better way to complete the mission. Because I'm not about the method, I'm about the mission. And when we started this church, we thought about our music. Because music is a very, it always has been a very vital part of the church experience. How do you usher people into the presence of God? And although I love Southern Gospel, I love hymns, I've grown up with them, I think some of them are still great, I love to sing them. Contemporary music is the thing that reaches people today. The younger generation especially. Because I, I, I realized years ago that these guys have got a different taste. I had a different taste. Man, when they came out with courses, brother, I was there. I mean, I loved Rock of Ages, Dread Cliff for me. You know, I love those old songs, Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story. I love those songs. But as a, as a teenager, man, those courses were hip and hot and cool, man. I was all up in that, you know. It's the same way today. And, and we thought about that. And I thought, you know, Lord, I, I'm going to take a, a guess now, just a chance here, that our older generation, they're locked into Jesus. All right? Our younger generations are the ones that we really, really need to focus on. And I started looking at the statistics. If you haven't reached someone by the time they're of the age of 14 years of age, the statistics plummet of your chance of ever reaching them for Christ. And so that's our target group right there. Children and youth. For that reason, we're going to do contemporary music. And oh, Lord, you'd have thought we'd have had a devil worship church down here. I'm telling you, you should, 13 years ago, contemporary music was taboo in Central Virginia area. Oh, they talked about us and praying that rock and roll music down at that church. But now, the biggest part of the churches in the area play contemporary music. Because they saw that it's an it's a evolving change, that the, just a natural evolution of worship. We see it evolving all the way from the beginning, even till now. This is the problem that the Jews had in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 3, we read. Because they wanted to hold on to the old. It says when the Old Testament was read, there was a veil over their face. They were blinded. They couldn't see. Even to this day, he said, when the Old Testament is read, there's a veil over their face. Because the veil is only removed in Christ Jesus. The problem is, they were so locked into the memory that they couldn't embrace the mission. 
And we don't want to be guilty of the same thing, church. Change has been a part of history. And from time to time, there's things that needs to change. And then when that change comes, we don't want to be like the Jews who were guilty of having that veil over their face. And they were so locked into the memory. I like it this way. I like it the way we used to do it. Because what I have learned is just studying history and observation myself, every time God is moving and doing something different, the resistance comes from the former movement. When they went from hymns to waltz music, they condemned it because they liked the old folk style of worship. So they, they made that evil or demonic because they're doing it to a waltz, you know. And then those that did the hymn to the waltz, when the choruses came out, they condemned it because they liked the hymns. They didn't like all that chorus, singing the same line over and over and over and over. And how many times can you say this is the day that the Lord has made? You sing the same thing over and over and over again, and they condemned it. And then when contemporary music came out and they had guitars going, and all that stuff, they condemned it. Distortion is of the devil. I've heard people say that. You play an electric guitar, distortion is of the devil. <laughs> the former move, the, the latter movement is always the one that seems to bring the resistance. They want to hold on to the way God did it in their generation. Because they're holding on to that memory instead of moving on with the mission. But what will be special to people today will be the things that we make familiar to them. You see, people that, that came to Christ in our church, they, there's people right here that they've never been involved with any other church other than this one. Now, how many of you, there's a couple of you, you know who I'm talking to. You visit other churches and you're like, wow, I really, I really like my church better. Because they did it different, you know. They're like, oh, we really like Central Virginia Assembly, you know, because the way we do it is different, you know, and it's better. We like that because it's familiar. We love things that are familiar. Change is sometimes really hard because we like what's familiar to us. And so sometimes it becomes so precious to us that we want to hold on to it so that when God is doing something, it's hard for us to embrace it because we're holding on to the past and we're holding on to the things that's familiar to us. While it may be new to us to change, it becomes normal to the people that's just coming into that. So when we make changes... People that come from the old style of worship into our church. Mike Williams is a good example. Mike Williams came and he became a part of our church. Still is a very vital part of our church. By the way, he's coming home for a visit. I call it home because he belongs here. He's in Kansas with his mom and dad. But they're coming out for a visit here uh, probably in September, I think he told me. But anyway, he said, when I first came in, I have to be honest with you, I didn't like your music. Because he came from a church that all they did was hymns. And he said, it took me a while to get used to it. I rode all the way to Bristol, Tennessee with Mike to get this man lifted out here. And he brought his CDs with him. And you know what it was? Bill Gaither. And that type of music. He still listened to it. I still listen to that sometimes. I'm, I'm cool with that. But I could understand how that would be so odd for him to come out of that into our church setting. But for those of you that's been in this church, it's normal. 
You're like, what's the problem? This is normal. This is what we do. And we need to understand when we change and it evolves to something different, then we've got to embrace that thing that is new. Or we're going to find ourselves trying to hold on to the memories of the past. What we have to find out sometimes that old ways in a modern world just doesn't work. What's the point of getting out here with a hoe, with a stick tied to the end of it, and trying to till my garden with that? I mean, I can get it done, but hold and Moses. Why not just fire up that bridge in Stratton and till the thing? There's a new thing, a modern way. It's easier. It's better. Let's use it. Oh, no, bless God, I'm going to use my stick. We mean my grandpa used this. My daddy, it is good enough for them. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time stick. Huh? I remember, give me that old time religion. Give me that. It was good enough. Well, we still got that old time religion. We just do it different. The message has not changed. The method has changed. I still got that old time religion. It's good for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. And it hadn't changed. Just the way we do it. That's all. The message is the same. And so there's changes that we have to sometimes make. Now, we're planning to make some changes here. And that's the whole reason I'm presenting this to you this morning. We're going to be making some changes. Some of you have probably been hearing some scuttlebutt about it through the grapevines. That we're planning on making some changes. And how we do church on Sunday morning. We have done Sunday school for 13 years now. And we've been praying about that and, and trying to figure out how we can get our numbers back up in Sunday school and everything that we've tried, it just hasn't worked. And I begin to realize there's a new cookbook out. And we probably need to, even though I value this one, we probably need to get the new cookbook. And to begin using that. Because a lot of churches are going to a whole different style of doing Sunday morning. And it's, it's better. It's working. And so we're planning on doing that. What we're talking about doing, is everybody still with me? Some people call it super church. I don't know if you give it a name. It's whatever name you want to give it. Basically what happens is everybody just comes to church at the same time. Instead of coming for an hour of Sunday school and then a, an hour, hour and a half of worship, everybody shows up at the same time. And we haven't really ironed out all the details, but this is what we're planning to do. Across the hall, we're going to take some of those petitions out. We're going to turn that into a kid's zone. We're thinking about maybe doing a really cool kind of a Robinson Crusoe sort of a treehouse. Really cool. I wish I was a kid place, you know. And when we come in, we'll probably just bring them there because so, kids love to wiggle, you know, and to be a place to assemble all the children while they're coming in. We drop them off there, and then we're going to come in for worship. And while the adults are over here having our worship pretty much the same as what we're doing, the children are going to be getting together over there, and then they're going to go in for their worship. Eventually, they will have this sanctuary when we're in the new sanctuary. And they're going to do their worship, and it's going to be radical and wild and fun. And I remember at Brownsville Assemblies of God, they had a children's worship team, and it was so awesome. Some of the adults like said, man, I want to go to children's church. Because they're jumping around and they're running around. They're doing all kinds of fun stuff that kids like to do. And some people are just big kids at heart. It's like, I want to go to the children's church and go to their worship, you know. It's like, my God is so big. He's so big. He's so big. 
My God, is, and they sing a song, but the devil's so small, he's so small, he's so small, and it's squints down. But my God, he's so big, he's so big, he's so big. And it's just fun worship. And so they're going to be doing that, and then they're going to break out into their age groups and basically still do the same Sunday school lesson that they're doing now, just in a different setting. You say, well, why are we doing that? Our mission is when one of my Sunday school teachers has worked all week and prepared and labored, and they've got a word from God that they want to teach these children. And they show up, and there's one, two children in their class, maybe none. I don't want that anymore. I want them to show up, and everybody's there, and all of the children are there. And we're making it easy for parents to do that. They're coming for their worship session service, and the children are going to be get, being taught the Word of God, which is our mission. Amen? And so it's going to be radical. It's going to be new. It's going to be fun. But for some of us, it's like, well, Sunday school is a part of my past. It's something that's been special and precious to me. What you, and this is what the Lord told me. If you try to embrace the new while you hold on to the old, you will be torn in two. We want to embrace the new while we draw from the old. You see, I, I, I forgot that I even had this old cookbook. And as I was looking through it, I was like, you know what would really be neat? Is to go through and pick out some of these recipes that my grandmother pasted in here. And make this stuff. See, I'm going to draw from the past. But we're not going to burn our, old, our new cookbooks. Amen? And so, I'm hoping that when we implement this, that everybody's going to be okay with that and they're going to help us transition and make this change. We're probably going to be doing this in uh, early October because we're targeting September the 30th, which is our Sunday School Promotion Sunday, usually. But instead of promoting Sunday School and kids going up to the next level and all of that, we're going to be introducing this new super church concept. And I believe it's going to be good. In fact... I, I, I may be wrong about this, and, and I hope this comes out right, but it seems like we have been a trendsetter in this community. I don't think I'm wrong about that, because it seems like when we do something, the next thing I know, I hear of another church, they're doing what we're doing. So I'm wondering, are they like watching us to see what we're going to do? It's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to do that. Now, I know they did with their worship. And uh, But I don't know. I, I think it may even inspire others to do the same thing. I, who knows? I, and I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it because I want to get people sitting in front of a teacher hearing the Word of God, especially our children. Um, while I'm on that, real quick, I just wanted to... Uh, this has been a very, very, very long announcement about something new we're doing. As much as this has been a sermon. I hope you're okay with that. You say, well, what about our adults? Well... <clears throat> On Wednesday night, we provide one of the best Bible studies that you can get anywhere. Pastor Joel is by far one of the best Bible teachers. I've sat under college professors, and none of them taught the Word of God any better than Pastor Joel does. How many of you would agree with that? Amen? He is an excellent Bible teacher. And if you want to, as an adult, you want to learn the Word of God, be here on Wednesday night. Because I think what we may be doing, again, we're ironing out some of these details, is our adult Sunday school teachers are going to take uh, 
series or sessions and teach on Wednesday night. So we're basically doing adult Sunday school on Wednesday night. We're still providing adult education, children's education. The youth meet here on, on every Sunday night. So the youth will still be having their biblical training. Children will have theirs. Adults will have theirs. It's going to do a little different. Is that okay? Amen. I know you've probably got questions about all that. And as we iron out the details, we're going to continue to keep you informed. But if you would, just let everybody know, maybe people that's not here, to be looking for October, we're going to probably do something a little different. It's the evolution of what God's doing. He's done it throughout history. Still doing it today. I believe it's going to be a good thing. Amen? I hope you're excited about it. Helping us build a treehouse. We're going to need some big bamboo and palm branches and stuff. Amen? It's going to be fun, guys. Trust me. Amen? Hallelujah. Another good thing about that. It's going to give our youth an opportunity to to take what God's put in them and share it. Because we're going to use them in our children's ministry a little bit more. Doing skits and worship and stuff. It's going to open a whole lot of new doors for us. Our Sunday school teachers are going to take, it's looking like a month on and a month off. They'll be teaching six months out of the year. That's going to make them fresher, more energized, keeps from burning them out. As we sat in the staff meeting and we sat in the board meeting and began to discuss these things, it was just going off in my spirit. Isn't that true, Pastor Joel? We were just like, this just sounds like God. I think this is going to be a good thing, you know. But at the same time, I've been around church a long time, and I know sometimes change is hard. Sometimes people want to hold on to memory, and they're like, I don't I want to do it the way we've done it before, you know. So can you work with us? Amen. I hope so. That means it's time to shut up, Pastor. At least you don't pick up the songbook and drop it on the back of the pew like they used to do in my dad's church. Twelve o'clock, kaplunk. Had one man even go, <coughs> don't ever try that in here. I will embarrass you because I am not my daddy, I can tell you. They better not try that with me. Would you stand to your feet, please? Hallelujah. Father, we love you this morning. God, it's our desire to serve you. Lord, it's our desire to take the mission that you've given us, Lord, and carry it until the time we see your face, Lord. Whether we see it in death or we see it in the rapture. Lord, we want to, we want to please you, Lord, and we want to do what you sent us here to do. Lord, we, we fervently seek your face, your will, and your direction to know what exactly you want us to do, Lord, and how we are to implement it. And Lord, as we are contemplating these changes, God, we just believe that you're in it, Lord. And we're asking you, Lord, to show us how to work out the details of it, Lord. And, and, and God, that we can just fill this place to overflowing with people that don't know you. And people that are hungry to know you better. So, Father, as we do this, Lord, we pray that you would just bless it, Lord. God, we pray for those that we still need to get on board, Lord. It's going to be our teachers. And we still need a couple more volunteers to teach and, and to, to implement these things, God. But we, we pray... Praise you, God, for the excitement that we see in those who already are, are seeing the vision, Lord. And they're, they're saying, yes, I like this. This sounds good. It's, I believe this is going to work. And, God, I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would just impart that to each and every one of us, Lord, as we continue to build your house, God, for your glory. 
In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray for every person that is assembled in this place, God. Father, if there's one here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, Lord, just touch their heart. God, if there's somebody here, Lord, they're not as close to you as they ought to be, Lord, I pray that you draw them to you. God, if there's somebody here, Lord, they have slidden back, God, and they've walked away from you, Lord, I pray that you just touch their heart and bring them back to you before it's too late. Now, Father, as we leave this place, Lord, help us to be a, a witness, God, as we go out into the world. Lord, help us to be a light that's set up on a hillside that people can see Jesus in our life. And, God, they will hunger and thirst for you, God. They will want what we have. And, God, help us to have the boldness to share with them, Lord, the truth of your word. Now, Father, I bless your people. God, I bless their home. Make it a refuge, Father. An escape from the world, a place where you are honored and revered, Lord. A place where you're welcome. Lord, restore relationships today, God, between husbands and their wives, between parents and their children, siblings one with the other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church.